Good morning. I have uh, missed you guys the last couple of weeks. I was gone uh, two weeks ago, men's uh, dad's boot camp. Got to speak there and had a blast with the guys. And uh, last weekend I was out of town on study break. It's, I, I love our worship. I love uh, being with you and I love being a part of this church. So missed you guys. I heard the uh, or, uh, Orphans Choir, the Uganda Orphans Choir, was awesome, a big hit. And didn't Matt do a great job last week? Yep. <laughs> Matt's message last week was, uh, in some ways, an introduction to a new series we're starting today called Three Prayers That God Always Answers. And I want to unpack this thing of prayer for just a mini-series, a few weeks. Uh, I know that some of us um, are frustrated with prayer. Anybody want to admit ever being frustrated with prayer? You know, we're we confused by it. We think, I don't get it. God doesn't listen to my prayers. Here's everybody else but me. Uh, I don't understand how prayer works. There are lots of questions about this. And I am... Um, I understand. I can relate to that. I've got a friend of mine whose daughter, young daughter, has got leukemia. And she's in remission right now. But uh, he has prayed for many years that God would heal his little girl. And so far that hasn't happened. And he's, he's dealt with frustration. Uh, I, more than once, many times, have stood at the bedside of the hospital where uh, someone is seriously ill, or maybe dying, and the spouse says to me, would you pray for my husband? Would you pray for my wife? And I do. And sometimes they get healed. I've seen God do miraculous things. Lots of times they don't. Or sometimes they get healed, but it's not necessarily the way I wanted it to happen or the timing I wanted it to take place. Uh, my most desperate prayer, most of you have probably heard my story, was about five years ago when my grandson Phineas was born prematurely. Uh, he was born at seven months. Nowadays, with modern medicine and all that they have, uh, it's not uncommon for a seven-month-old uh, preemie to live, to survive. But my grandson Phineas had undeveloped lungs and some other complications, and he only lived for about an hour. And it was my most desperate prayer ever. Oh, God, please heal my grandson. So I understand. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I get it. I understand the frustration that some of us have with this issue. And one of the things you can always count on from me is that there's a, a, a no BS approach to the things of God. I have no intent to stand up here and pretend like I have all the answers. The truth is, the truth is there are things on this side of eternity that we are never going to completely understand, fully understand God and his ways. And I am not the guy. If you're looking for the pastor who has all the answers, keep looking. Because I, I do not have all the, the, the answers to all the questions. And I certainly have no simple or pat answers to lots of questions that I plan on asking God when I get to heaven. I got a list of things. God, I don't get this. Why did that happen? How did that happen? What the heck? God, I don't understand. I probably wouldn't say what the heck to God. But... But I'm certainly going to have some questions about, I don't understand some things about what happened. And so I, I will admit to you, there are things I don't get, but I, here's the other thing I, I embrace, and I want to encourage you to do the same. Where do we get off thinking that we can or should be able to understand everything about God? God is God, we are not. We have a limited perspective. We have a limited intellect. Even if you're a really smart person, the smartest among us still doesn't use all of their brain. Scientists say at the best we use maybe 10% of our brain capacity. And so where do we get off expecting, demanding to understand everything about God and God's ways? Isn't it possible that due to a limited perspective and limited intellect that there might be a whole lot of things we're just not going to get right now? And isn't it, that, that's why faith and trust is such a critical part of our relationship with God. In fact, it's at the heart of our relationship with Him. Faith and trust in him even when we don't understand, especially when we don't understand. Some of you have given up on prayer. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. 
But I just know, a crowd this size, some of you have said, tried it, been there, done that, didn't work for me. God doesn't listen to me, I'm, I'm done. And you've given up on prayer. Some of you don't think it really works. Some of you think, well, I guess God listens to guys like Kurt because he's really holy. But that was a joke. But some of <laughs> But you think, no, there's no way he, he's going to pay attention to me. Well, I want to challenge you. And part of what I want to do in this mini-series on prayer is challenge you to renew your commitment to pray even when you don't get it. To renew your commitment to pray even when you don't understand, even when things don't pan out the way you thought or expected them to pan out. And I'm going to give you, to encourage that, to fan the flame of that desire in you, I'm going to give you today and over the next couple of weeks Prayers that God always answers. Now that is a bold statement, I understand it is. But I promise you, these are three prayers God always answers. But before we get there today, about half the time I wanna unpack a couple of very important things. And they're foundational things for you to understand about prayer. I'll return to these over the, the course of this series because you must understand these things. A Couple of things you need to know about prayer in general. Here's the first one. One of the most important things you need to understand is that prayer is not about prayer. Prayer is all about God. Let me say it again. Don't miss this. This is incredibly important. Prayer is not just about prayer. Prayer is all about God. It's not just something we do or say. It is a conversation we engage in with our Father God. We engage in with our Father. You know, as parents... And I've done it, you have too. We sometimes say to our kids, did you say your prayers tonight? And, you know, if they didn't, they, you know, bow their heads and hold their hands and say their prayers. Uh, you've heard it before over meals. Anybody say a blessing over this? Somebody pray over this? Somebody say something over this food? Or maybe you've heard this. Somebody is sick or you're wounded or hurt and someone says, I will say a prayer for you. Now when I, I hear those things, I know that they don't mean evil by that. They mean well. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with saying a prayer. But here's what I want to shift in your understanding. I, what if prayer is supposed to be a conversation with God, not something we just say at him? What if, God, what if prayer is supposed to be an engagement of our soul, our spirits, our mind, a conversation with God, not just something we say that we lob at him once in a while? Let me ask you a question, not a trick question. Is it better to talk at your wife or with your wife? Some of you guys look very confused. <laughs> with. Is it better to talk at your friend or with your friend? Of course it's better to talk with them. And so we want to talk with God. We want to carry on a conversation and engage in conversation with our Father. You know, ironically, for millennia, many have said in religious services, much like this one, what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And it's found in Matthew chapter 6. And lots of us, we, we've memorized it. I've known it since I was a little boy. Beginning of the prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I say it's ironic that we've used that in services because what we've done is we've repeated a prayer that Jesus used to show his disciples how to pray, not what to pray. The disciples didn't say, Jesus, teach us a prayer to say. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They had watched him. And they had seen him engage in conversation with the Father. They'd seen him walk off to be alone by himself. They'd seen him along the road. They'd seen him pray for the sick. They, they saw Jesus engage in conversation. They knew there was something unique and powerful and wonderful about Jesus' relationship with the Father in prayer. And so they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. 
And we've turned a, a lesson into something that we just repeat. And Jesus never meant it to be a prayer that we would repeat. He meant it as a model for conversational, relational conversational discussion with the Father. Jesus meant to show us how to have this relational conversation with our Father God. When he said, Our Father, he made it very personal. Our Abba, our Abba Father, Daddy God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. He's talking to a person. And that's the model that he gave to you, and my, to you and me. It's not about something we say or something we do. It's about engaging in conversation with God. Prayer is, is all about God, not about prayer. Why is that such a big deal? What's, what's the point? Well, some of you get very nervous when somebody asks you to pray. Maybe you've been in your life group or uh, over the Thanksgiving meal or any situation, and, and you're, you're terrified that somebody in that group is going to say, would you mind praying? And you're terrified because your fear is, I, what if I say the wrong thing? I don't know what to say. I don't understand what I'm supposed to do here. And we, we feel inadequate. We get all tweaked out about it and freaked out and, and worry and stressed out. My point in saying this is a conversation with God is relax. It's not about what you can say. It's just talking with your father. Just talk with God. My grandson was down here earlier today, and he's uh, three, uh, almost three, and he's getting pretty good at talking. He's got quite a vocabulary now, but there's still times he says something, and I have no idea what he's saying. But you know what? It doesn't bother me. And he's, you know, two and a half, three years old. When God looks at you, he never gets bothered by, when are they going to learn to say the right words? When are they going to figure out that they've got to talk to me in a specific way? You see, we get lost in this, and we forget that it's all about relationship. And God wants relationship with his children. And that is best served through conversational prayer, just saying what's on your heart. Here's the second foundational thing I want you to understand. The first is, it's not about prayer, it's about God. The second is this. Since prayer is a conversation with God, it can and should happen all day long and throughout our day in any, any and every circumstance. Which means this, you don't have to close your eyes to pray. You don't have to use King James English to pray. The church I grew up in, it was really weird. I remember even thinking as a kid, you know, have a normal conversation with someone, and then the minute they were asked to pray in front of the congregation or to pray over the communion or whatever it was, it was, our Father is in heaven, we thou us pray us and ask us thou us to come us and do us to us and think us amongst us. And I go, why do they talk like that? Well, because it's King James English, and we think that God speaks King James. He doesn't. It's conversational. You can speak to him. In fact, I would encourage you to use your heart language to speak to him. Whether that's Native American or Hispanic or Asian, talk to God from your heart. Express your love to him just as a child would to a father. You don't have to pray out loud, by the way, either. You can pray from your heart, from your mind. You don't have to get on your knees. You don't have to bow your head or fold your hands. Now listen, if those things help you pray and they help you stay focused, go for it. Sometimes I close my eyes and pray because you guys are distracting to me. But, <laughs> but you don't have to. You really don't. You can pray out loud and you can pray anywhere and everywhere. And it's better, way better, to practice his presence through conversational and ongoing prayer everywhere you go and all throughout your day. You can pray while you're driving down the road. And by the way, it's a lot better to pray with your eyes open when you do so. <laughs> you can pray 
in a business meeting, your boss is ticking you off or you're bored to tears, you can pray. And again, it's probably a good idea that you pray silently. You start praying out loud in a business meeting, they're going to haul you off. We think there's a way. It's not. It's a conversation we have with God. Sometimes I pray a hundred times in a day. I really do. And most of my prayers are very short, and honestly, they're not very religious. You know me. They're often relational moments of desperation. Oh, God, help. Give me wisdom. What do I say here, Lord? I don't know what to do. God, please strike that idiot driver who almost hit me, um, you know, with what, <laughs> Strike him dead. No, no. I think that, but I don't pray that. There are a lot of ways, and it's a conversation that we can have with God throughout our day. Last week, uh, we handed out these Team East Point bracelets. And by the way, if you didn't get one, we've got some extras at the information table in the lobby. And I know some of you think, well, you know, those things are kind of old, and I don't really like them, and they bother me, and, and, I, and I, you know, after a while, it's just an irritant. I, some of you don't like it. And our point in doing this was real simple. Even if just for a few days or a few weeks, wear them to remind you to pray. Just wear them to remind you. And after a while, you can take it off. But the idea is to remind you to pray all day throughout your day, wherever you're at. And just to say, oh, God, I, that's right. I need to pray right now for the community of faith, for the team East Point, for the people who I'm engaged with in the kingdom of God. Learn. We want you to learn to practice God's presence in your life by learning to engage him in prayer a lot, all the time and everywhere. All right, those are the two foundational things I wanted you to remember. Prayer is not about prayer. Prayer is all about God. And and since it's a conversation, it can and should happen lots of ways throughout our day. Let's move into uh, uh, the last half of this talk today. And I want to talk about the first of three prayers we'll cover in the series. And here's today's prayer. And it is one that God always answers. Ready? Here it is. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. This is a prayer God faithfully and consistently responds to no matter what you've done or who you are. That's why I love this prayer. God faithfully and consistently always responds to that prayer no matter what you've done or who you are. Again, in the Lord's model for prayer found in Matthew 6, He said, as he's modeling for the disciples, he he said, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. And Jesus would not have encouraged them to ask God for something that God was hesitant to give. But he knew, no, we can pray this prayer with confidence. John, a disciple of Jesus, wrote this in 1 John 1, 9. God is faithful and fair. If we admit, confess, agree with him that we have sinned, he will forgive us our sins. He will forgive every wrong thing we've done. God will make us pure. John says we can come to him because he's faithful and just. And when we agree and confess that we've sinned and failed, then we can find forgiveness for anything and everything we've done. Now I talk about forgiveness in prayer and often a couple questions come up and I want to address them this morning. And these are things I'm consistently asked. And here's the first question. Well, is there any sin too big for God to forgive or a limit to his forgiveness? All right, I'm supposed to ask God to forgive me, but what if I sinned, you know, and, and it's, is it possible that I've done the unforgivable sin? Is there any sin too big for God to forgive or any sin beyond his ability to forgive me of? And the short answer, direct answer is no. There is nothing too big for God to forgive. There is absolutely nothing beyond his ability to redeem, restore, or renew. Nothing and no one, absolutely nothing. 
I love what God once told the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32, 27. God says, I am the Lord. God of all living things is anything too hard for me. And it was a rhetorical question. No, nothing is too hard for him. Years ago, in our old uh, auditorium, a man came up to me after service, and I could see uh, the look in his face, the desperation in his eyes, and he said, I, I want to believe. I want to become a Christ follower, but I think I'm too far gone. I, I, I've messed up too, too much, too, too many times. In fact, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've committed the unpardonable sin. Well, uh, I told him what I'm going to tell you. If you're worried about having committed the unpardonable sin, then you haven't committed it. It's the very fact that you care or worry about it means your heart is not hard. And I said, nope, you haven't committed that. You can relax. But I said, where did you get that idea? And he, he began to unpack in just a brief encounter in front of our auditorium his story for me. And he looked down the carpet, couldn't even make eye contact with me. He told me, he said, well, I, I, I got out of jail about a year ago. I was arrested for sexual abuse. I'm a registered sex offender, and, I, and I'm a recovering alcoholic. And he said, somebody told me that that's the unpardonable sin. Now, it's a horrible sin. Way too many victims, way too many victimizers in our culture. And it breaks my heart. It's terrible. It's, it's horrible. No doubt about it. It's one of those sins that it just it turns our stomach. How could anybody do that? But again, I told him what I'm telling you today. There's no sin beyond God's ability to forgive. No thing that we could ever do that's too big for him to forgive us of. And he said, well, what about the unpardonable sin? Well, they told me it was the unpardonable sin. And he was referring to something that's mentioned three times in the Gospels, in Matthew 12, Mark 3, and Luke chapter 12. And I won't unpack those passages today, but I'm going to give you my short explanation of what's going on there. Jesus does refer to the unpardonable sin as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And way smarter guys than me for a couple of thousand years have argued about what that is and what that means and how we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And I admit to you, I'm not that smart a guy, but you know what? I've been studying the Word for a long time. I've learned something a long time ago. Zoom out, look at the context. And when you look at the context, context of what's happening here in Matthew 12 and Mark 3 and Luke 12, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. And they, in that situation, had accused him of doing a miraculous thing under the power, by the power of, of Satan. Blasphemy was where they were saying, you, you, this isn't done by God, the Holy Spirit. This was done by, by evil powers. And Jesus is warning them. He's cautioning them. And he's saying, guys, you're, you need to be careful because the, the unpardonable sin is unpardonable because it's unpardonable because the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. When, listen to me, and don't get confused by this. When we reject and we resist the work of the Holy Spirit, we are hardening our heart, and therefore we don't want to be forgiven, and we are turning our back, denying, rejecting, resisting the very one who leads us to relationship with God. It's the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, that convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life if you're not a Christ follower yet, identify for you what you're beginning to sense and feel as you're looking at God and considering becoming a Christ follower. It is the work of the Holy Spirit drawing you to this understanding, to this revelation, to this, this, this awareness that you are in need of a Savior, that you have sinned, that you failed. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that does that. And so if you reject the work of the Holy Spirit, you can't be led to faith and relationship with Jesus, and it's unpardonable because he's the one who leads us to relationship with God. 
Again, the only sin that is unpardonable is the sin of turning our back on the one who leads us to Jesus and to forgiveness, the Holy Spirit. But if you don't continue to harden your heart, if you come to the point where you recognize and say yes and begin to cooperate with that work, then there's nothing. That's why John can write with confidence in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. There's nothing beyond God's power to forgive. And so here's the important takeaway. There's no sin that is bigger than God and beyond his power to forgive. No sin. Not even blasphemy. If you come to the point where you say, God, I do need you. I confess my need for you. No sin we can commit. And I looked that guy in the face and I said, there's nothing you've done that's beyond God's power to forgive. To bring that point home, I want you to watch this video with me right now. First time I saw that video, I literally wept. I remember the stories back in 1994 of the atrocities that were happening in Rwanda. Almost a million people brutally, brutally murdered. And that's a true story. And Emmanuel was guilty of murder. And the woman he talked to, he killed her husband and her children. And I love the statement that he makes. I, I cannot repay my debt, but somehow God has forgiven me. That's what he does. That's who he is. And there's no sin beyond his power to forgive. But how do we get forgiven? How do we experience that? Well, we saw in this story, that there's no way we can pay our own debt. There was no way Emmanuel could pay 
the debt for his sin. Only God can do that. And that's why he sent his son. I know this is gospel 101 for some of us, but we need to remember this again, rest in this again, thank God for it again, and some of you need to experience his grace today for the first time. He paid the debt in full for you on that cross. Jesus gave his life for us. And our part is to accept that payment on our behalf. The debt was paid, but we need to embrace and accept that. Here's what the Apostle Paul described in Titus 3.5. He said, God saved us. It wasn't because of the good things we had done. Sometimes we get this crazy idea, but I just do enough good, I'll kind of balance out the scales, and maybe when I get to the pearly gates, God will let me in. Nope. God saved us. It wasn't because of the good things we had done. It was because of his mercy. He saved us by the washing away of our sins. We were born again. The Holy Spirit gave us new life. There's that work of the Holy Spirit. He gave us new life. Ephesians 1, 7. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In Jesus, because of Jesus, through Jesus, we have redemption. Through his blood shed for us the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. How do we get forgiven? Well, we see our need. That's where it starts. A revelation, an understanding. I see I need God. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. We confess. We don't have to confess every sin we've ever done. I don't even remember all the sins I've done. We confess, God, I agree with you. I have sinned. I have failed. I have messed up. I need you. And then we simply accept God's grace and his mercy. We ask him for forgiveness. We ask him. God, will you forgive me? And guys, that is a prayer God always answers. God, I see my need. God, I agree with you, but I have failed. God, will you forgive me? And he says, absolutely. Without hesitation, absolutely, you're forgiven. Barry, had somebody pray for you. Father, I am amazed at your goodness to us. That you have given us um, the opportunity to engage you in conversation, to have, to have a conversation, a connection with you all day, every day throughout our lives. That you, the God of the universe, wants to hear from us and converse with us. God, that blows me away. But Lord, I, I am even more blown away by the fact that when we come to you and humbly confess our sin, our need, and ask you for forgiveness. You forgive us of all unrighteousness. Without hesitation, you grant us what we need, life, forgiveness, grace. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment. If you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower, or maybe you're listening online or listening on the radio right now, I want to encourage you. It's as simple as that. It's, it seems almost too simple, but it begins with seeing that you need him. Agreeing that you have failed and then asking God to forgive you. And the Bible says when we do that, we enter into relationship with him. We go from darkness into light. We become children of God in that moment. And it's not about cleaning our lives all up and figuring it all out first. We simply come as we are and we say, God, here I am. I need you. Forgive me. And God says, I'm here. And I'll walk with you as you walk with me for the rest of your life. And you can walk in 
forgiveness. If you're here today and you know that's what you need, in your own heart, your own way right now, you don't have to pray the words out loud. Just say, God, I need you. I believe in you. Jesus, I confess I have sinned. Jesus, thank you for paying my debt for me on that cross. I embrace what you did for me. In your own heart, in your own way, just say, yes, God, that's me. That's what I want. The moment you do, you enter into eternal life, into relationship with God. Lord, for those making that decision right now, show them the power of what you are doing, the goodness of what you have done and will continue to do in and through their lives. And seal in their hearts that they, 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 they belong to you now because of what you've done for them. It's not about what we can do, but about what's been done for us. Thank you for that, Lord. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish one last song of worship we're going to give. You're part of our church. I encourage you to get. Let me explain one thing about the offering today. Um, we believe in extending the kingdom of God and advancing the work of God's kingdom beyond just East Point. And 10% of what comes in today is going to go to Guatemala Missions to support our missions efforts there. And I just want you to know that. Someone thought, first service, that was kind of crazy in May, June, July, August. I thought we were always kind of down on finances. Yeah, we usually are. But we believe it's better to give than to receive, and we're going to give. And 10% of what comes in today, just want you to know, Right off the top, we're going to give that to support missions of Guatemala. So, yeah. Let's give as we worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. Hey, a couple of things before you go today. If you began your life's Christ follower, you made that decision. You prayed that prayer. I encourage you to tell somebody. Let them know. Let me know. And by the uh, doors, there's a table. By each door, it has a new believer's pack. It's Bible. It's material. Get you starting your walk with Jesus. Please pick one of those up. Prayer team will be down front. If you need prayer, communion's available besides the room. Uh, stop and pick up the prayer bracelets, the uh, Team Eastman bracelets at the information counter, or sign up, guys, for the men's breakfast. But here's my prayer for you. Go this week and live in conversation with the Father. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today.